Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship, and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social, and economic renewal in our immediate communities. And as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Our guests online, everybody at any one of our 85 locations, our Worship Harvest locations, everyone from our global audience, you're very, very welcome to this segment of Business Garage, where I have the distinct pleasure of hosting Dr. Stephen Mugabe and Director Grace Munira as we speak about discipling as a dominant strategy for scaling up in business. Gentlemen, you're very, very welcome. And I'm glad to be chatting with you this morning. Thank you, Mona. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Mona. Morning. Start with your greetings. Um, hmm. Let me send out greetings to my staff. Um, yeah, everyone in Vine Pharmaceuticals. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And you, Dr. Steve? Yes, I would like to send out greetings to all the dentists. Huh? Tomorrow is World Oral Health Day. We. We get to celebrate uh, and teach people about the mouth eh? and the teeth. Eh? So, all the dentists out there, uh, I send you greetings. I'd also like to send greetings to my amazing BLN chapter at Worship Harvest downtown. Director eh? <laughs> sent to And also, of course, my lovely wife, Daphne. <laughs> Send to the Nalia. Let me send greetings yeah. to the BLN guys in Nalia, but also on the online one. Fantastic. Fantastic. Whole, yeah. I'll actually use this time as well and send greetings. I haven't been here a while. So I will send greetings, first of all, to my uh, son, Aidan Mitikaoma. He made 10 uh, this past weekend. Hey. And uh, I have a double-digit uh, old son. So this was the first one who's crossed from single digits to, to uh, double digits. But I particularly want to also uh, send greetings to Pastor Lynette. What was that last weekend, you know, where she came and broke down in very simple and very practical steps and very real and candid ways how to get out of debt. Uh, pa- uh, Pastor Lynette, Pastor Chris... We salute you. We thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. But let's get on, indeed, with the day's topic. Uh, in Worship Harvest, as you might all know, we have started a series, and Pastor Ivan Muhumuza took us through a series of uh, discipling as a dominant strategy of building and expanding uh, the body of Christ. Similarly, in business, uh, discipling can be used as a tool, as a model of scaling. So I'll get on with uh, uh, having the discussion on what discipling looks like within uh, the body of Christ and within Christianity. And indeed, it is a Christian business we are talking to, and we expect these principles to align. It is indeed the act of growing uh, people in the competence and character of Jesus Christ. So gentlemen, what does discipling look like? What is discipling in business? I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Steve. Uh, Thank you, Mona. Well... Uh, thinking about discipleship, we can't run away from uh, Jesus. He's the author and finisher of discipleship. And in uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he told us what to do. So he says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make 
disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, from Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus says he had authority from the Father, and he's telling us to go. Um, and in the past, even from last week, we learned from uh, Papa Bleso that, um, you know, uh, we are supposed to go. Eh? So what is this going? Mm-hmm. What is this discipleship? Uh, from my understanding, it's Jesus came and he was around for three years. He told people, he showed people how heaven is manifested on earth. Where he was, there was no sickness. Where he was, there was abundance. Where he was, problems were solved. Where there were political issues, he quelled those with serious wise answers. Eh? Case in point, the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Where he was, people were raised from the dead. And then he had the way he conducted himself. So he's giving the mandate to these people that go and do like you've seen me doing. Uh, for you to get the results that Jesus got, you have to do what Jesus did. So he's telling these people, go and teach others so that my authority can dominate everywhere you go. So now for us, it's in business. How do we manifest Jesus' authority in business? Uh, that's through discipleship. That you are born again, you get affirmed in your faith that you're a child of God, and you start acting from there as a child of God. Then you get to disciple others to do the same. And that's how you get to change an industry. Uh, we don't know, most of our practices may not be uh, godly practices in business, but how do we bring them on? It's through discipleship. Um, so I can think of one of the, you know, when I was preparing this, I came across an industry that really has a good example of discipleship. Go ahead. That is the nursing industry. How nurses, so? Nurses. How so? So, anyone know? who started, who professionalized the nursing care that we, we do now? Florence Nightingale? Florence Nightingale. So she learned that from a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, wow. who had started um, what they called diaconi, I think in German, but it was to do with a deaconess. Yeah? Now the deaconesses were trained to be nurses and to do it well. Before, nursing was such... It was neglected to people who were either widows, unemployed, and they brought very unprofessional things. People were dying from just being nursed. That they, you, you die because you've gone to be nursed. Eh? Imagine that. Yeah, so she, she was uh, someone who, at that time, was raised in a family that was very well-to-do. Uh, she's called Florence because she was born in Florence. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a sister who was born in another Greek city. That oh. had a Greek name. Oh, wow. So at that time, that's a Victorian era. Women yeah. were supposed to just produce and stay home. But her father enabled her to go on and she had a, a spiritual background, a Christian background. So she went, she encountered this uh, Lutheran pastor, learned from them, and decided to, to do the same wherever she was. And she started a nursing hospital in um, London. And, that's who, and then she trained someone from the U.S., who became the first professional nurse in the U.S. Wow. Called, I think, Linda Richards. I'm, I don't remember the name well. But 
we know nothing as it is now because a person like Florence Nightingale learns from someone, so you could say she was discipled into that, yes. but decided to change, to transform the whole industry of nursing uh, because she was like, if uh, this is the, the godly way of doing nursing, and now nursing is such a big profession in the world, uh, when they are saying they are putting quotas of, of, for nurses in like the US, Canada, uh, for, for, for people who want to work in those countries, they don't put quotas for nurses. They always want nurses there. Wow. So that's wow. what I can think of in industry and discipleship right now. We're off to a brilliant start, and if you haven't shared the link, please go ahead and do that. And to you, Director, let's uh, hear from you about what you think discipling in business is. Okay, thank you so, so much, Amona. <coughs> um, discipleship is necessary because you need to pass on um, the way you do business to other people because you're not immortal, you're not omniscient, neither are you invisible. So the issue is that you can do things in an excellent way, but if you have to move beyond one location, then you have to teach people the things that you do and how you do them or else you'll yourself burn out. There is no way more people can catch what you have as the uh, entrepreneur if you do not disciple them into your way of thinking, your way of doing things, and why you do those things. And so that's where you create uh, your vision, your purpose, your values. And then, like um, when Doctor was explaining something popped in my head, you then come up with... If we are to do this, what should be the guiding principles that, that govern our behavior going forward? And that's where you come up with the, the values. The values of an organization so that wherever you scale your organization to, they will carry that DNA. And so identify your values and then plant the values. When you plant the values, then you will reap the harvest of the culture. And then I'm going to pause you right there okay. because you're getting uh, deeper <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and yet we, I, I'd like to, to take us uh, uh, slowly. Okay. So I, 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 I want us to still understand a bit of why. Yeah. You've talked about we're not immortal. So mm -hmm. considering that we're building businesses that are going uh, to outlast us yeah. is one reason why we should uh, scale. Exactly. You see, how many businesses die with the death of the owner? Several. You can, the day you see the owner die, give it six, mm. 12 months, mm. the business will die. Now, why must that continue? Can't we put a stop and then have people discipled in the way and thinking of the and DNA of the owner mm -hmm. so that the business is able to move on? And some businesses have really uh, been cross-generational businesses, and that is how they disciple other people to join the business and do the business the way the owner was doing it. The omnipresence. Uh, difference between <laughs> difference between feed my family and a, 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 a multi-branch entity like Vine. The moment you cross three locations, chaos comes. There's even a rule of three. Actually, the rule of three and ten. Chaos comes in uh, at threes and at tens and going forward at threes and at tens. So you have one location, you're okay. Mm -hmm. You have three locations, Chaos comes. You have 10 locations, more chaos that 
that wasn't there at three mm. pops up at 10 and at 30 locations you have much more chaos and different ways of doing things so the issue is how do you intend to move from 0 to 3 to 10 to 30 and you will find that actually even what got you there to 10 will not get you to 30 and so as a discipler i don't know whether i'm moving ahead of myself no no you may have to kill off some of the good things that you had mm. at 10 in order to move to 30. Some of the things that people have to know why you're killing what is actually seems to be working. But you're seeing a much bigger and better future ahead. Would you like to add to that, Dr. Mugabe? Yeah, still talking about the why. Mm -hmm. um, the business can only be, as you say, you can't be omnipresent. Mm. Uh, you can represent your business through sons and daughters around the world. How do you do that? You train people to continue their business. Um, you grow these sons and daughters. Uh, you give them what you know so that they continue running with this purpose. If you've gone beyond feed my family, mm -hmm. then you have to have sons and daughters who will be, um, let's say you own a bank, uh, Harvest International Bank, that you have a a uh, branch in Stuttgart, eh? Frankfurt, New York, Nairobi. There are their sons going to represent you there and carry the ethos of the business, uh, the way you conduct business. Maybe you decided that for you, you will not give uh, business loans to people who make condoms and uh, what? Alcohol and all that stuff. And they stand by that in that place and say, we shall not give loans to casinos to what eh? mm, mm, they are representing mm, your values mm, in that place mm. so that can and you will be known for that so the why is to just continue perpetrating the way you do business the kingdom way through many sons and daughters because you can only be in one place at a time you're not the holy spirit indeed borrowing from the worship harvest example indeed if there'd been no discipling if there'd been no sons and daughters i think would still be in Katikati in the Nakawa location, but uh, as a result of discipling, we're in 85 uh, locations globally and locally. So let's get into the how. Uh, we typically know there are three ways, coaching, yeah. uh, training, mentoring, yeah. and culture. Yeah. And you had started to touch on that, and I slowed your role. <laughs> so I'll start with you, Director. I was uh, excited. Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, let's get into Culture. culture. And you know they say culture will eat strategy for breakfast, so it better be a good one. Yeah. Regardless of um, what you have as strategy, it's better that, it's better that you, you underlay it with a good culture. Mm -hmm. Culture is the way you do things. It's not the way you want to do things. The way you hope to do things is the way you actually do things. You may think you have a good culture. Culture will emerge whether it's by design or by default. You have a culture. It may not be the culture you want, but you have a culture. Intended or otherwise? Exactly. Examples on that? If you don't, I'm coming to that. If you do not cultivate your culture intentionally, then it will grow regardless. And you'll have weeds, weeds of culture. So that is why when I had come on first, I was talking about values. And you will know your culture by the values that you have planted in the organization. And the values are the guardrails that help us 
remain sane and behave a certain way within an organization that must be observed by everyone. So when you see yourself, yourself harvesting a culture you do not want, then look at the values, whether they are being observed. Now, values are important and they, are the, they, guide, the way, they guide the way we behave. Most people do not even know the values that they hold. So they confuse the values with the virtues. The virtues are things like integrity, accountability, and everyone thinks, seems to have those values of integrity and accountability. Mm -hmm. Duh, who doesn't want to be a person of integrity? Who doesn't want to be a person who is honest? The values you hold, you may proclaim that you hold the value of accountability, but we really see it by the way you behave. And you do not have values unless those values have been tested. How do you onboard people? How do you offboard people? And when did you last offboard someone for lack of honesty? Because those values that you hold will be tested, especially in your absence. Now that you're scaling, now that you're growing more than one location, they will be tested. And if you are last tested on your value a year ago, then you do not hold it. Your values will be tested time from time to time. And the culture that you have must be guarded, must be protected, or else there are certain tendencies that keep cropping up, especially as you grow. We've had this experience. So you have maybe 10 locations or 10 branches, 10 shops, 10 whatever it is. And the experience you get at one is not the experience you get at another. Maybe you say, oh, this bank branch, I prefer going to the one at, because those guys seem to understand me. So culture must be scaled in a way that, in a cookie-cutter manner, that the guys at branch X exactly behave like the people at branch A. And if you cannot do that, maybe stay small, stay where you are, and do not disturb people. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Steve, you want to lean into culture a bit? Yes, culture. Culture comes from the word cultura, which is a Latin word for cultivate. So the business owner is in charge of cultivating yeah. their culture, that they, whether they are intentionally cultivating or they are letting weeds grow, they are in charge. And did you know that language plays a big part in culture? Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, in Uganda, our culture is so much controlled uh, by our artists. Did you know that? Yeah. No. I they, don't. they do. They do. They will come up with a slogan and everyone is using it. Mm -hmm. You know, like Ugandans start saying, big is big. It's because yeah. a musician came up with that. Is it even good English? No. <laughs> but we all say it, big is big. Because one of them said it. And so they... Language dictates culture. Um, me going back to Jesus. Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Jesus, I think, had a, a culture he inculcated in his disciples. And so they wanted to imitate him and take this. So he told them, wait and for the promise of the Father. Then you have the ability to go and do what I've been doing. So they, had to, they started imitating him. Because as he was a person of prayer, he was a person who, his word... Uh, he, he was not politically correct. <laughs> he, he stayed the truth. And they, they also did the same. You know, I was thinking about Jesus. 
Jesus was a businessman, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Because he came from a business family that were carpenters. So, you can think, most times you get a picture that he was poor. But no, if you're the carpenter in your town, and everyone wants a door, let's say 100 families want doors, that's 100 supplies to make, yeah? 100 contracts. You can't be poor. Or 10 people died in the village. 10 coffins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kids started going to school, so they want some tables to do homework. Yeah? Small tables, which are not the main table. Maybe 100 tables. And so they must have had employees and saying, do this, do that. And that's why he was able to go and spend time in the, in the synagogue learning the law. Who, who has time to do that if they are not financially free? Yeah? Indeed. Yeah. So we have to beat some of those things out of our heads about the picture of we get from Jesus being poor. Yes, he came and then he became poor. Uh, by the time he went to the cross, he was poor because he was hung naked with nothing, meaning that he took poverty. But his practices were not poverty. He had a treasure on his team. Hmm? So it means he was teaching people how to manage money, um, how to be generous, um, saying, you see, um, let people honor you. If someone comes and breaks a whole, uh, a, way, a whole year's wedge perfume on your feet and washes you with their hair, it's mm. okay. You have to learn to be honored because you bring value to the market. He was teaching these people a lot and they imitated that and went at it. You never hear that Jesus had, that there was a day where, ah, the disciples got food poisoning. And so their mission had stopped for... <laughs> For, for three days because people are recovering. Yeah? No, there was no such stories because of how he, the, the presence he brought. We are called to bring the same culture to the marketplace. You see, we've settled for less. Mm-hmm. The marketplace culture is cutthroat competition. And you can have that as, and you have your employees going at each other because uh, you've said whoever brings the most sales is the person I recognize. Um, but there's another way to do that. Maybe you can have a team and say you're the best performing team. This is the best place to work. If you're part of this team, I'm happy to be part of this team. I'm contributing maybe 50%, but others are contributing 40% of the sales, but we are doing it as a team. And you come up, you as a business owner, as a way of uh, making sure that such a culture is there in the business. Eh? That is a kingdom kind of business, I would like to think. As you scale, like, Director Grace, and you're all, you may have a very bad HR department where people don't take leave, where you make people overwork 8 to 8, 8 to 11 p.m. Um, that's not a kingdom kind of way, mm. I think. Mm. Um, but you can bring a culture of the kingdom um, and you think of the words to use around it and you know the words will direct you to do the right thing. So for example, at Code Clinic, we now like to say this is the best place to work. Nice, eh? nice. Yeah, so we shall make it the best place to work. So that we can attract others and people shouldn't leave and they should feel like that's the best place to work. Then we shall be able to, you know, people be like, where well, is the best place to work? They will have heard that, hey, this is the place. Then they will come, then we shall train them to go out to other cities to carry our culture. Um, so, culture is so important, but learning from our Master Jesus, he was... He's set the culture that people learn, which we can do in our businesses. Somehow it has died out because so many other business practices come 
uh, if we were to list them, would even get depressed. So let's not go there, but yeah. let's think of the ideal that can be in them, in the workplace. And that is a picture of Jesus, of discipleship, of, uh, of uh, spreading Jesus' authority in the marketplace. Fantastic. And I'm going to ask you two gentlemen to give us a peep into the cultures at Code and at Vine. Uh, so, that, so that we understand what a godly uh, and good culture is to emulate. But before I do that, Dr. Emily Bagarokayo, I see you. Uh, thank you for the engagement. Elder Ariho Kamara, I see you as well. Mark Karamira, I see you. Owen Bigombe, I see you. Keep the engagement coming. I'm not seeing any questions. People, if you have comments and questions, I see your very interesting uh, comments online. Please keep the engagement high and active. And uh, if there are any questions for these brilliant gentlemen, please do send them through. I will be sure to read them to them. Director, snippets into your culture at Vine, because sometimes we need to bring it down to very practical things, especially a culture that you had to snuff out and replace with something that was working. Because I think many times we try things out, yeah. only see that they are not working. And I think, you know, we, we like to learn from stories like that. So from both of you, I'll request that you take us through something that worked at some point or you thought was working, didn't work, and how you improved that before we get into how to impart good cultures in our businesses. Okay, let me first uh, zoom out. The... You know, when you're building culture and you're creating, uh, th there are challenges you have. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. So you find in an organization, they say, uh, you see, the sales department is really good, but the finance, you know, the finance is really a pain. And you wonder and say, this organization seems to be good, but within the department, there's a problem. And so culture, much as you, the owner, wants the whole organization to be homogeneous, it may not exactly play out that way. The other thing I want to bring out before I give the example is the discipline. Now that you've created culture, you need to have the discipline to maintain and instill and install the culture within the organization. I'll pick up a line from uh, Jim Collins. He says, Companies have culture. Many companies have discipline. But few companies have a culture of discipline. Wow. In other words, does this thing apply to everyone all the time, every time? Or there are some people who are accepted from observing those things. Can you say that you have discipline in your company? Can you say that you have a good culture and that you have a culture of discipline in your company. So ask yourself a few questions. If your employees left today or those who have left, what do they thank you for? Your ex-customers, what do they thank your organization for? Their organizations have been part of and up to now, I know their level of transparency and accountability are way off the charts. And that is the culture. So the thing is, in Vine, we have, we instill an, an entrepreneurial mindset and behavior. When you leave, you're likely to become an entrepreneur. 
like it or not, because we subject you to all the things that are important to make you an entrepreneur. We have the pressure, we have the stress, <laughs> that no one is exempted from you know, being asked about numbers, being asked about the sales, the margins, the, the, the expenses and all that. And the bottom line, a good culture, I found out, should actually help you create a good bottom line. There's nothing like a good culture that has losses. Once you have losses, you have a bad culture, period. No explanations, no, accept no, 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 no exceptions. Yeah. Mm. You know you have a good culture by, mm. you know. When you're winning. When you're winning. The, the dimes that are coming in. No, <laughs> no excuses. So, my example. Uh -huh, let me give you an example of as you're designing culture, something comes up. So we wanted to track um, how many people, how many people come into the pharmacy, and so the more, the better. So then, people, you know, uh, found a way of hacking this round. Guess what? So when when a customer came and bought three things those would be three different receipts. So it would show that there are more people coming to the pharmacy. Then you end up rewarding that, and yet really there hasn't been any improvement in the number, the footfall, mm. technically what it is called. Mm. Then, ha, huh, you think, you know what? What do we do? Let's reward people who are able to cross-sell. So cross-selling is... Um, you want a shoe, we shall sell you socks, we shall sell you shoe polish. Alongside the things that are important for you to enjoy the experience with the shoe. So, when we did that, then we said, oh, you know, which team managed to cross-sell as much as possible to a given client? People found a way. You get two client sales and batch them together and then create a good sale. Um, of a customer, yet those are three customers that were actually combined. So you find that as you're creating culture, you will have bumps, and it is you to actually emphasize and find a way of uh, rounding those. Cost correcting. Yes, cost correcting. And you must emphasize and enforce uh, those things that uh, help you sustain your culture. Dr. your example. Oh, wow. Should I? Are you ready for my confessions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've tried several things at Code Clinic and had to drop them mm -hmm. because they were bringing uh, the wrong culture, <laughs> what we didn't intend. So one, I never used to bank all the money at first. So I used to spend some money. Wow. Yes. <laughs> as soon as it was yeah, I mean, paid, you do what you uh, want with it. Such things. Then I realized when one of... My doctors were saying she wanted also some money to go and spend. I said, hey, hey. that started with me by being the one who doesn't bank all the money. Mm -hmm. So I had to change that and be like, guys, all the money must be banked. Then we shall only spend after banking. And with You make plan. a request or whatever, whoever needs to be paid weekly or what, we make sure we get petty cash for that. Uh, but initially, it was money come money go out to just spend. So you could only tell that from when the other people in the business start saying, even me, I need, you know, money for transport, maybe now, now, now. <laughs> and you're like, no, this is a bad culture. Yeah. So I had to nip that in the bud and do the right thing. Be the example. That you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, another one. Mm -hmm. um, 
we one of our cultures at Court Clinic, okay, one a positive one, yeah. okay, is we we like we believe in lifelong learning. I believe in lifelong learning, and if you're in my space, you must continue learning. So we read books together. Uh, initially, to start the culture, I had to make sure that Tuesday morning, 7:30 to 8:30, we sit down and read the book page by page. Oh. Read one page one. I read page two. Read page three. Wow. And if there are words you don't know, go and find out what those words are. Wow. If there are names you don't know, go find out what those names are. Uh, until a point where now I could let people go and read on their own and share highlights. But from time to time, I'll challenge them to do that. How I know that it was a good culture, one of our staff was getting married. And I had to be the person to go and give a speech about uh, being the boss. <laughs> and... I go and meet an uncle of the person getting married, and they put me aside and said, I want to be your friend. I said, really? They're like, you know, you've, you've grown people. My, my niece has been reading books that are nothing to do with the dental profession, about her, her personal growth. So I want to be your friend. Share with me your reading list. Nice, yeah? nice. So I was like, oh, that's a good thing. When uh, it permeates yeah. the boundaries of code yes. clinic. Yeah. There's another bad example. <laughs> um, so at Court Clinic, we like to be known for keeping time. Mm -hmm. making, we make people do appointments because we want them to be served on time. But then I started uh, incentivizing someone to make a doctor busy. There was a doctor who wasn't busy. I said, you know, if you get clients for this doctor, mm. then you get a bonus. And what I didn't realize is they now started making, we were no longer following our, 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 our practice of keeping time. One day I came, I found a horse waiting area taking a lot of time. So we're not keeping our promise of uh, we'll see you on time. So I had to remove the incentive from that because it was bringing uh, a bad culture. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, online audience, for uh, the engagements. Daniel Chaudhry, I see your question, and it's actually leading us to where we're going. Daniel asks, what are the foundational building blocks to have a good business culture? And do these foundation blocks work the same for the big and or small businesses? Perfect, Daniel. Thank you very much. I see all of you. I see Dunstan Chimboa, uh, Wilson Kazora, uh, Geraldine Ayebazibwe. Thank you very much. Please keep the engagement uh, coming. But now let's start with uh, Daniel's question, which leads us into the next segment. Yeah. We've, we've, we've ascertained that indeed culture is important. And not to say, by the way, that the other elements are not important, which include training, coaching, mentoring, but our impression is that you've heard a lot about those and that's why we're digging into culture. So gentlemen, I want us to get on with indeed Daniel's question, you know, how? How do you establish the, uh, the culture, the good culture? And is it the same for big and small businesses? You know, things like impartation come to mind, the values you reward, uh, and that type of thing. Director, do you want to kick us off in that direction? Cu cu culture will begin with the, you know, it will percolate uh, from the top to the bottom. How the leader behaves really will, 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 will show what the, the, the organization values. If I say we start the meeting at 7.30 mm. and I walk in at 7.45, there is something that has been 
imparted. This is something that has been passed on regardless of, 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 of what happens. If I say when the meeting begins, there's an anointed chair that uh, I have to sit on, then that is the thing that uh, everyone, you know, percolates down, down, down the road. But the thing also is, what do you celebrate? If people really observe the values, then you reinforce them by celebrating that, you know, you, know, you made it better. Thank you, Mona, for keeping time. You showed that you respect all of us. And for me, it's a sign of disrespect not to keep time. Mm. So if one of my core values is respect, then respect me by keeping time. Mm. And I just can't help it but give it to you when you don't keep time. And again, no beef. But also, Daniel asks, does it work in small organizations and, yes, and big? Yes, it does, to the extent that the owner and entrepreneur wants it to percolate downwards. I'll give you an example. Uh, doctor talked about the language that is used. You can reinforce this by the language you actually create. So I found a company that uh, deals in eggs, right? And they have a value of being excellent. And the language they created was excellent. You know, excellent. egg, nice. yes, clever, excellent, egg and excellence. Yes. Then they said they have an exceptional culture <laughs> way of doing things. So you can create language that further reinforces the values. But also, how often do you teach about those values? Because the way people understand them and pass them on differs. And as the organization grows and scales, people will pass on what is not actually culture. And you will hear mbu, you get, never do this, which uh, when we are uh, talking, part of culture is also what is not spoken. What are those norms where people say, no, 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 that one never bring it up. Mm. Yeah, that one will annoy him. Oh, you know, that one will irritate him. That is also part of the culture that you have created. You may be creating a culture you actually do not want. Population says that one of the roles, in fact, the CEO is also the chief culture officer to make sure that sometimes I actually feel my job is you don't, you don't, 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 come back, you go, you know, that kind of thing. Because culture has to be protected. So you create language over it, you create a celebration over it, and more importantly, make sure you, on, you use it on board and off board people. You don't match the culture, thank you so much. You, you deliver the numbers, but you don't match the culture. Then off you go. But on terms of onboarding, then we're going to say, do you, do you observe these and what do they mean to you? I'll give you an example. So when I used to do the hiring, I would hire you and say, oh, Mona, how are you, blah, blah, blah. And after our set, initial set of interview, I would give you seven habits of highly effective people by uh, Stephen Covey. I tell you, go read it. Uh, so today is Sunday, come back. Okay, so it's a Monday. Come back next Monday, 10 a.m. And you come back and then give me back my book. Uh, so we review the book. So if you didn't finish it to sharpen the saw, seven, the, seven, the, seven habits, the interview is over. And that was it. Because I did not want to onboard you and then we struggle with you. If we have a reading culture, then we're going to test it. Mm -hmm. That if you say, oh, I stopped at habit number two, I'll say, give me back my book. And uh, the interview is over. So, so it seems you wanted people that were already in the reading culture. Was there room to help them grow that muscle? Part of 
of this exercise is also to know who will not match your culture. A fit? Yes. A good fit? Because you will struggle okay. in trying to change people to make them what they are not. Your job is not to change people. Your job is to find people who naturally find what you're doing very exciting. So what I'm hearing from you, Director, yep. is it starts with a leader. Exactly. What you're modeling, yep. what you're saying, and the leader has the responsibility of tweaking uh, the aspects that they want to either promote or yeah. dissuade. Yeah. Okay, so it starts with the leader, impartation, and modeling, really, and instruction is yeah. what I see from yeah. you. Do you want to say something, Dr. Mugabe? Yeah, just... About the how. The how is yeah. the incentives you give towards the culture that you're promoting will really... That's what will promote the culture. Uh, I, I'm reminded of a story of I think it's colonial times mm. in India where they're trying to solve a snake problem in a city. And they say, bring rattlesnakes to City Hall, which I'll give you one or five dollars. And instead they created a snake problem because people now started cultivating snakes to be able to get the money. So incentives really uh, matter. You have to see what are you incentivizing because it might bring the wrong culture. Um, as a leader, you have to every day inspire talk about it, over-communicate about what you want, and then be the one leading to do that. If you want to be the, be the best sales, go and do a sales and show people that you can also sell. Show that you can offer safe treatment. Show how you treat people well. Um, be, take leave also so that people can take leave. All that stuff. Yeah, you, you are the leader. You have to show the way. That's the, I think, the, 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 overarching, the overarching takeaway I take from, from, from this conversation. It starts with a leader. Culture is critically important, but the, the, the leader is very impactful in as far as um, positive or negative uh, and how quickly a culture is adopted. Mm. Director, you look like you want to say something. I was just thinking. Wrap it up with oh, some books. Okay. If the leader leaves at midnight... Unintentionally, yes. they've set the culture. Yes. If the leader is sending emails or WhatsApps at mm. 10 p.m., mm. unintentionally, they have set the culture. If the leader is working on Sunday, mm. unintentionally, they've set the culture. Yes. If the leader is, you know, whatever the leader does, everyone else will copy. So as leaders, we just need to really be mindful. A few resources that we can share. Mm -hmm. uh, one, there's a book called Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. That can be can come in. There's a book called um, No Rules Rules by uh, um, Reed Hastings and uh, Erin Meyer. Erin Meyer has herself written another book, uh, The Culture Map, uh, that would be very vital. Yeah. And uh, there's Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. If you haven't uh, read it and you're in the worship have a space, that is uh, a book that you all must get your hands on. So please uh, look up these resources, particularly uh, Building a Discipling Culture, I believe is available within the Worship Harvest resources. An excellent tool uh, for business uh, that you should all get into. But as we wind up and as we're talking about culture uh, in business and uh, culture generally, we're inviting you into a culture of uh, Christ, a culture of Christianity, a culture of salvation. And... Generally, for your personal lives and for your businesses, you need Christ as the author of your culture uh, to define who you are and to define who your businesses are. And so, 
at this time we never like to end without giving you an opportunity to receive and accept Christ in your hearts as your Lord and personal Savior. And if this is one such time, and I believe it is for our online audience and anyone in any of the locations that we are, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me and after which you get further guidance on how indeed you can take uh, your walk and salvation culture uh, forward with Christ. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this day and for this opportunity and for the mercy and grace that abounds for me to accept you in my heart as my Lord and Savior. Please forgive me for all uh, sin and trespasses that I have committed against you. And with your blood, we are cleansed and I am cleansed of all sin and unrighteousness. With my mouth, I confess and in my heart, I believe that you are my Lord and personal Savior. I thank you for redeeming me. All in Jesus Christ's name I prayed. Amen. Friends, if you have said that prayer, you are welcome and you are born again in Jesus, uh, in the kingdom of Jesus. And on your screens should be a number that is running, uh, plus 256-775-6424449. If you call or text that number, there'll be somebody at the end of it to guide and help you uh, understand this decision that you've made, plug you into the body of Christ here at Worship Harvest, and help you on the journey of salvation. Thank you, uh, gentlemen and uh, audience online and the studio audience. We look forward to hosting you some more uh, next weekend. And we invite you now to join us at all our locations and even online for our main garage where we continue to learn about discipleship as a dominant strategy, uh, both online and at our locations, starting at 9 and also at 11.30. Thank you very much and see you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555. Territory.